Good morning. Well, what a great kids' talk, eh? We are blessed. We are blessed as a church to have uh, such capable people investing into the life of our kids. And I'm certainly thankful for that, and I know that you are too, as uh, parents of younger ones particularly. Well, we started our series two weeks ago, and we were looking at the different aspects, the different purposes of a church, not just our church, but any church that would choose to live out the great commandment and the great commission of Jesus. And we saw that we're to be a, a soul-winning, a benevolent, a worshipping, a fellowshipping and an equipping community with the overarching characteristic of love. So we, as we carry out these different purposes for us as a church, there is one overarching characteristic. And Keith unpacked that last week. And it's a recognition that despite all the advertising that our world would give us, that we are not the most important person in the world. That the world doesn't revolve around us. God calls us to recognise who he is, to worship God and to invest in the lives of others. And it's that overarching fruit of love that drives each of the other five purposes of our church. That's why we're a soul-winning church, because we recognise that people without Jesus face a Christless eternity. It is literally a matter of life and death eternally for them. But more than that, it's a present reality for them as well. Way too many of our fellow Australians live life without any hope for the future. And we've seen that particularly in this COVID experience. Speaking to a, a taxi driver of all people this week who was talking about the number of suicides, but not the number of suicides. He was, he was working with people in the emergency um, department of a hospital talking about the number of attempted suicides that are coming through their emergency department over these last 12 months. People living without hope, people living without any sense of their significance or their purpose in life. And that's why we need to step out and to be those agents of reconciliation. Introducing people to the plan and purpose of Jesus. Letting them know that there is a God who does have plans to prosper them and not to harm them. Plans to give them a hope and a future. What a, what a fantastic privilege that is. And I'm sure um, if people here have led another into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know the thrill that that is not just for that person, but for you personally to experience that as someone has come alive to see who Jesus is and to take hold of hope. So this 40 days of community is all about us deepening our community life together. But it's also about inviting others into the life of our community so they too might experience the hope of Jesus. We can do that individually but we can do that together as we partner. So much of the, of the Bible talks about partnerships. Paul, writing to the Philippians, said this. He said, I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers. I give thanks for you. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He goes on to say, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you is going to go on to complete it until Jesus comes again. The next part of, of that passage, he talks about you are standing together side by side with one strong purpose, one strong purpose to tell the good news. So as we go through this uh, 40 days, you might be 
uh, thinking about how you can take the good news of Jesus to those friends around you or how you can partner with your small group to do that or even ideas for us as a church. Perhaps it's the open day on the 20th of March when we can come together and welcome our community to understand who we are and to take them on a journey of not just our facility but the people, you and me, that live life in and through this community each and every day. So uh, Rick Warren has come up, as he normally does, with an acrostic, you know. So we're going to go through an acrostic today about partner. How can we partner together? How can we partner together to share the good news? Well, the first thing to do is to pray together, to pray together. So it's the Spirit of God who changes lives. We can't convert anyone. It's the Spirit of God that brings conviction. It's the Spirit of God that brings repentance. And our job is to be praying that God would use us as his hands and feet in the lives of other people to introduce them to Jesus. So the first step for us is praying, Lord, I'm willing. We are willing in our small group to look beyond ourselves, as great as it is to be a small group together, to look beyond ourselves to those that are still without a relationship with Jesus how can we invite them in to be a part of our group or a part of what we're doing during our journey Lord we can be praying please melt that hard heart please melt that stubborn heart that person that keeps wandering away not wanting anything to do with you Lord you can change that heart you can bring that person home we can do that as we encourage one another together now Lynn is not a phone lover, right? Let me tell you that. She hates being on the phone. Up until about three years ago, she used to forget she had a phone, so I'd ring her. She wouldn't even know where a phone was. Leave messages, you know, but she just... The phone for Lynn was an interruption to your life, wasn't it, darling? That's the way it really was, you know? <laughs> I got an agreement for those on live stream there. There was a nod of agreement, you know? But over the last three or four years... Her phone is constantly pinging, pinging, pinging. I'm thinking, what the heck is going on here? What is it? And it's a small group, right? Small group. You ladies, and some of them are looking at you now, I mean, they share life together. They're encouraging each other. There are prayer points there. There are praise points there. I'm not told what it is because this little group is pretty closed and confidential. I've got no idea, but all I do know is there's a lot of rejoicing and there's a lot of prayer that goes on and they are partnering together as a small group to see the lives of others changed, the lives of others impacted. Together, waiting on God. Paul wrote in Colossians, pray for us that God will give us the opportunity to tell his message. And as we pray for the opportunity, we start to see opportunities everywhere. If we're praying for our friends who don't know Jesus. We start to see opportunities to connect with them in so many ways. We're praying for our family who still haven't come to a relationship with Jesus. We see our family in different ways. We see points of connection. We see ways of, of being able to share with them the hope that we have in Jesus. The second thing we can do, the A in partner, is appeal to common interests. What do we have in common? What do we like to talk about? What are our common needs or interests or hurts? Where can we have that point of connection? The Apostle Paul, perhaps one of the greatest missionaries 
if not the greatest missionaries we, missionary we read about in Acts chapter 17. He gave us a model when he came into Athens and he walked around the city and he saw that the people there in Athens had erected this um, image to the unknown God. And he said, men of Athens, I can see that in every way you are very religious. And then as you can read there, he went on to, to actually paint the picture of how they could find the unknown God, how they could develop a relationship with Jesus Christ themselves. So like Paul, we need to keep discerning the appropriate points of connection. And those common interests can be built around a whole range of activities. We have some who play soccer. Not here today, they must have got carried away. Some who play soccer on a Sunday morning who uh, come in, get themselves uh, showered so they smell nice before they come and join us Sunday morning. We all appreciate that. Um, but building the common interests around that, common interests in our men's shed, around metalwork, around woodwork. But I'm convinced that the common interest of the men's shed is sitting around eating some absolutely fantastic cakes and delights out of Baker's Delight, Chris. That's right, Arthur. I can see you here. Um, loving their baker's delights and just sharing. And out of that, the work of our men's shed has flourished as other needs of men in the community have become known. Our playtime around the common interest of kids and parenting and building relationships there. Paul writes, Whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. I do this to get the gospel to them and also for the blessing I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. Now the translation of the same verse says, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might win some. And then the R stands for reach out in love. Love is the motive for sharing Jesus. Love is the motive. If we start to see our friends as a target that we are going to somehow claim for the kingdom so we can use them or rejoice with them as a bit of a trophy we've got the wrong idea of what it means to journey with someone through love when matt uh, smith shared his testimony um, in january i was blown away not just by the testimony matt's testimony and that he came to know jesus but here he was probably the only christian in a group that was studying at school at that time and he had a group of mates they just encouraged him. And even though Matt would wander off at different times and not get engaged with them and not come along to their youth group or whatever he was doing, they didn't, they didn't dump him. They didn't view him as a target that, okay, we're going to deal with, with Matt. And when he makes it clear that he's really not interested this time, we, we're just going to cease friendship with him. They stayed with him. And they loved him and they loved him without judgment. It's not our business to judge uh, those around us. Um, Paul writes, it's not my business to judge those who are not a part of the church. The church is called to make judgment about people who proclaim themselves as believers and don't live that way. But not to make a judgment about those who are yet to come to know Jesus. Jesus is going to come again and Jesus is the judge. Jesus will judge the world. Do I believe in judgment? Yes, I do. That's why I have a passion for people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
but my role is not to judge the world. There'll come a time when Jesus comes. He'll separate people into two groups, the sheep and the goats or the wheat and the weeds, and we know what's going to happen. Those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ will go to spend eternity with him. Those that don't will sadly spend a Christless eternity without Jesus, and that's the reality of our life. But our job is to share the forgiveness and the hope and the mercy that we have. Then we can tell our stories. That obviously begs the question, do I have a story to tell? Has my life really been transformed by Jesus? Or do I just know about Jesus? Because we can't share a story about something that hasn't happened in our lives. I can give you an example of one of my failed attempts. Um, before I became a Christian, I was given a book in the early 70s called The Late Great Planet Earth, written like a bloke, by a bloke called Hal Lindsey, who predicted all the different things that was going to happen were going to happen to the world, in the world. Okay, this was the end of the world, this is where the, e, the uh, EU was going to be and this is that and the other. And I was fascinated by it, absolutely fascinated by it. So I went to school and I started to tell all my friends that they better be ready to meet Jesus and all these types of things. I hadn't met Jesus myself. And so if someone was to look at my life, they'd think, what the heck's going on here? My life lacked no integrity. And so my efforts were not going to be very good at all. There is so much power in our testimony. So much power in our testimony. You are God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him and to tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you. The most effective way we can do that is by declaring what our life was like before we met Jesus, how we met Jesus, and what our life has been like after that. And not the type of life that almost paints it out for people like, you know what, I was once lost, and um, my life was like this and then I met Jesus and everything after that has absolutely been fantastic. Because, friends, that's really not the way our lives are, if we're honest. After we meet Jesus, Jesus is present with us in all those circumstances of life. The good, the bad and the ugly. So we need to be honest about that. That's why testimonies are so powerful. We saw that over the the five people that shared their testimony in January. Powerful testimony of God. And then the N stands for nurture friendships. Be friendly with everybody. Don't be proud and feel that you're smarter than others. Make friends with ordinary people. This world is full of lonely people. And that's why we need to do a great job of looking after each other. Because there'll be times when each of us in our own fellowship is lonely. And we need to do a good job of looking after each other. And we'll talk more about that as we talk about a fellowshipping community. How can we actually be better at our fellowshipping and living life together? But it's because our world is full of lonely people that we need to reach out into our community. A lot of Jesus' time was spent at parties. Pharisees called him a glutton and a drunk because he was at parties so much. In his home, Levi, otherwise called Matthew, gave a big dinner party for Jesus and many fellow tax collectors and other guests were also there. Matthew had invited his mates from work to come along. 
a little bit like Emma and Sonny were sharing today, you know. Part of it, just getting together with friends, talking about Jesus. Those that weren't Christians come to understand what's going on. And hospitality is a way that we can do that, inviting people into our homes. Hospitality is a little bit misunderstood. Sometimes we talk about hospitality as things that we do with fellow Christians in our church. I don't really think that's the understanding of hospitality. I think that's more fellowship. When you go back to the root of hospitality in the Greek, it talks about the difference between a hospital. It's inviting people into your home, usually people who don't know Jesus or travellers and journeymen on the road, extending to them um, love and care. And it's something that is special. People want connection. I won't take um, all um, Philip and Jocelyn's thunder, but Philip shared a story with me last week and we might get him to share it. Um, as I met with Phil this week, just after church, just very briefly, they went out to a cafe they got talking to two different couples and pretty soon Phil, you're at their place or something that afternoon, weren't you? Absolutely amazing story. Never met them before. Just went out to get a coffee, had them be talking, found that there were some common interests and they're all back together sharing life together. Nurturing friendships. What a wonderful thing. The E, expect God to act. Expect God to act. One of the great uh, preachers of the 19th century was a bloke called Charles Spurgeon. And a young fellow came up to Charles Spurgeon uh, one day and he said, I don't understand it, Mr Spurgeon. Whenever you speak to people, people seem to respond. They make a commitment to follow Jesus. He said, whenever I speak to people, he said, that doesn't happen, not very often at all. Why is that the case? And Charles Spurgeon said to the young fellow, he said, you don't expect people to respond to Jesus every time you speak to them, do you? And the young fellow said, no, of course I don't. And Spurgeon looked at him and he said, that's your problem. That's your problem. You're not expecting God to work when you're declaring who God is and declaring who God's word is. I don't fully understand it. But I know that God works in people's hearts a lot more when I expect God to work in people's hearts than when I'm not expecting that according to your faith let it be done to you says jesus and i know that the more expectant i am of god answering my prayers the more that happens and i've learned this over the years i used to go away on mission trips and see god answer prayer in the most unexpected of ways so much so that i came to expect it whenever i asked god to move I remember going back to the Solomons about 10 years ago and Solomon, our young uh, Elliot, our young Solomon Islander, uh, was there with me and he'd been living in Australia for four years at that time and he needed to go back and he needed to find a job and I wanted to find him a Christian mentor. Now, finding employment for a 20-year-old in a third world country with a 90% unemployment rate when he has no experience whatsoever is not an easy job i remember waking up and saying lord this morning i'm expecting you to provide for Elliot. i'm laying this before you i'm expecting you to answer this prayer he needs a job he needs a reason to get out of bed each and every morning and he needs a mentor so the next day Elliot and i were offered a 
Cafe in Honiara, one of the few at the time that could make decent flat white coffees. And we're getting up to leave. And as we got up to, to leave, an Australian couple walked in who were missionaries over there. And I got talking with them and told them Elliot's dilemma. They operated a business. Their mission was actually operating an enterprise called Coconut Pacific. They looked at me and they said, we can take him on. So I said, when would you like Elliot to start? They looked at Elliot and said, Elliot, can you start? Eight o'clock tomorrow. And then I caught up with Elliot three days later. I said, Elliot, how's it going? And he said, oh, it's great. I've learned a lot about coconuts because <laughs> that's what they did. They kind of ground out, got the coconut oil and they distributed that um, as an enterprise right throughout the Pacific. And he said, we have Bible studies. So we get, we get encouraged in our faith. Those kind of experiences happen regularly for me. And I thought, why doesn't that happen so often when I'm back here at home? So I developed many years ago the attitude of being very expectant about God when I pray and seeing things happen. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Friends, who are you praying for now? Could be a husband or wife. Um, who hasn't yet come to know Jesus. Could be a wayward a child, someone who's wandered away and still has turned their back on Jesus. Want to get your small group, others around you to pray expectantly that God would perform a miracle in their lives. The, the prayers of our friends in our small group are so powerful. It's like the story. The four blokes that brought their friend to Jesus, remember on that stretcher, removed the, the roof and lowered him at Jesus' feet. The fellow was miraculously healed because when Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the bloke on the stretcher alone, but the faith of his friends that brought him to Jesus, he was healed. And then finally, represent Christ with your life. See, we can talk until we're blue in the face to someone about the difference that Jesus has made. But if our life lacks integrity, as I said before, there's not going to be any traction at all. Whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of Jesus. Friends, I'm going to leave it there. But just challenge us to be prayerful, to share our prayer needs in our small group and to be expectant and to nurture those relationships with our non-Christian friends all around who desperately need Jesus, and to reinforce to us that even in this world of PC stuff where it's not right to say some of these things from a social point of view, friends who die without Jesus face a Christless eternity, and that's something that you and I should be so mindful of as we continue to pray. And see those lives changed and transformed in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you. We thank you for new life through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the amazing privilege of taking the hope that Jesus offers and to be able to share that with our world who desperately needs it, particularly at this time of history. We thank you, Jesus, that you give significance that you give purpose. And Father, I just want to pray for anyone here now that hasn't found that yet in their own lives. Father, I just pray that you will be giving them the courage to respond. 
they would take hold today even of life that is truly life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.